What a joyous occasion it is to assemble and to gather not only the words of those songs and the opportunity of prayer, so many other things, of course, that are blessings to you and me as it relates especially to worship. We do want to express to each of the fathers a happy Father's Day. We do hope that each appreciates, of course, the things the Word of God teaches about fathers. And in fact, that motivated me to prepare a bit about this lesson today. In fact, on this next slide, as you give some thought with me to the title of the lesson, Blessing of a Godly Family. We aren't simply going to focus on fathers, but include mothers as well, and yet describe some basic features of the Word of God that I believe will be a tremendous benefit and an amazing blessing to each of us today. On this slide before you, we each would know, and we would so readily affirm the fact that a godly family is a remarkable blessing. It really is. To those of us who have grown up in a godly family, may we thank God for it. May we, in fact, give rich appreciation to what that family has made the reality of our life. But not only that, look at some of the features as you come to the bottom of that slide and those that we're going to see in the next few. I'm going to ask you to list with me this morning a few of the blessings based on the Word of God that correspond with a godly family. And as you wander back through the corridors of your memory and think about perhaps your own life and give thought to the nature of the blessing that's been yours as a result of being a part of a godly family, it may be that some other specifics you can think to add and list. The book of Proverbs will be a frequently referenced place for us this morning. Would you please be turning to, to the lesson text or at least some chapter in it? We will be looking carefully at a few of the things. Let's start with this one. Many of the ideas that we're about to share, at least in part, are prompted by some of the issues and problems that seemingly plague our world and our land. Think about belonging with me. The very attribute and the blessing of belonging. After all, as you give thought to a person in life, when an individual, in fact, motivates his or her way through life and feels aimless, lost, feels as if he or she doesn't belong anywhere. That so often can be an ultimate root problem to later bad behaviors in that person's life. And yet in a godly family, look at what the Word of God has to say in verses like Proverbs 4, verse number 3. Fairly early on in that book, the inspired writer said, For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. The inspired writer pointed out that he knew he was his father's son. And furthermore, he always understood the tender, appreciative love due from his mother. He belonged and he felt special for that reason. There's something important about the fabric of the way God has fashioned us as human beings. We need to feel as though we belong somewhere. We need to feel as though we're a part of something. We need to feel as though we can contribute to something. And a godly family, as a youngster is reared in an environment like that, he or she comes to appreciate, I belong here. And ultimately, we're about to see the reasons why. If you would consider with me Luke 15, verses 11 and following, the scene there is so very memorable. There was a boy we often call the prodigal son. He took his things, his inheritance, and off he went. But when things turned a bit bleak and dark, and they weren't like what he imagined, he knew there was a place that he could belong. My father's servants have it even better than this. 
He ultimately knew he could, in fact, proceed back. And he even determined in his own heart, I'm going to confess my error and simply say, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And yet Dad welcomed him home, not because the son was willing to stay in the scene, but because he wanted to make repentance. And he wanted to, in fact, have about him the environment, the attribute, the character that was demanded of him. But he knew there was a place he could belong Isn't it fascinating to give thought to one of these blessings, the blessing a godly family offers? A loving father and a loving mother who instill within that child, they love the child. And as that child matures and grows, the child has a sense due to the impression of God in the lives of that father and mother that here's a place you belong as long as things are well and right. Look at maybe that third passage. For it's true that that idea, in fact, speaks volumes about the church, God's family. God welcomes, of course. He sends that blessed message of invitation to anybody and everybody in hopes that they'll respond in faith and they'll respond in obedience. And when they do, there's a work they can do. There's a place they can belong. There's a kind of life they can lead with prestige and honor because it's what the Bible teaches, belonging. Look at the second blessing. There's a sense of community that comes with a godly family. They enjoy spending time together. They enjoy the mutual encouragement they can offer one to another. We've each witnessed it and seen it in our own lives and our own appreciations. That father and mother who will go to watch a ball game because son or daughter's playing in it. That's an enjoyable time in many ways for it's an opportunity to appreciate, of course, this sense of togetherness a cookout, a picnic, time watching an appropriate television program, the list goes on and on. Of course, how many times do we eat together? Times that we come together as a family and those are rich, memorable, lasting times. As you notice some of the passages, what about Proverbs 29 verse 15? Look at what happens though when that sense of community is not there. Think about a given family for which that's absent or for which it's missing. Verse 15 of that chapter reads it like this. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Consider it with me. Notice we often give thought to the first part of that verse, but what about the latter part? The child that's left to himself. He doesn't feel the part of the community. He does not, in fact, spend that time with them. Maybe a portion of that which has ultimately led to those things we see in a verse like that one. You notice what a blessing then a godly family can be in terms of instilling a sense of togetherness, appreciation for the blessings of those who love you. Isn't it true in this life? As we motivate our way from birth and we mature, there are those that love us, certainly in a godly family. Notice one of the blessings is the child isn't left to himself. We know our present world is one in which so many youngsters seemingly grow up in a way in which they are left to themselves. What a tragedy. What a sadness. Because a godly family isn't that way. Look at some of those additional verses. One that's left to himself, not appreciating that sense of community. Look at what happens in Proverbs 2 verse 10. Back early in the book, we notice this rather tragic reference. 
It says, When wisdom entered into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee, to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh forward things. Did you note with me? There's a man speaking bad things, terribly influential things in the wrong direction, and yet wisdom would preserve you. Proper understanding would guide you, but that's absent. It's not there. You'll notice this sense of community, this sense of appreciation of what the community stands for. A godly family, as we're about to see shortly, you'll notice that there's an element of happiness bottom of that slide. Some of these things are so beautifully intertwined that we're going to see at least parts of them appear again shortly. But as we move along that way, wouldn't you say that happiness is something if you simply ask or take a poll of a thousand people, what do you most want? Many, no doubt, would say something related to, I want to be happy. I want to feel joy. Do you realize that a godly family is a tremendous stepping stone toward the eventuality, the reality of that? Look at some of these things. In Proverbs 10, verse number 1, as you give thought to the blessing of a godly family, it says, A wise son maketh what? A glad father. A wise son will make a glad father. A dad that's joyous and happy. You'll notice that at least in part that's prompted by the wise choices of his children. Young people, don't ever lose sight of the love your parents have shared forth upon you. Don't ever lose sight. They sacrifice for you. They love you. But realize that your wisdom will go a long way toward making them happy. Your right choices in life, the directions you pursue, the things you avoid. Notice what else it says. But a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. By the same token, if any of us want to cause our parents sleepless nights, if we want to, in fact, bring them to an early grave, all we need to do is live foolishly, break their heart, step aside from the teaching so wonderfully presented to us. It places a challenge upon all of us, doesn't it? That's not the only verse. What about Proverbs 15, verse 20? Notice one more time the statement that's made reminding all of us about the sense of happiness and how in a godly family that can be appreciated as each one, father and mother and children alike, live in the way that the Word of God tells us it will generate that happiness. Proverbs 15, 20 reads it like this. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish man despiseth his mother. That individual, again, who lives in wisdom, Wisdom, as you and I know, as the Bible defines it, is that kind of life that follows the instruction of the one who is the wisest of all, God. Isn't it true? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Therefore, you notice happiness. Isn't it a sweet thing to dwell in a place, a family, a godly family, where there is a general sense of happiness, there are those in our world who rise in the morning, go to bed at that night, and have not known a happy moment all day because there's something missing within them. They're apart from God, no respect for the Master. They have failed to honor the greatest mission their life has ever understood. 
the mission is to fear God, keep His commandments. And a godly family will instill that. Isn't it true this element of happiness goes even further? As you'll notice on this next slide. Because isn't it rather fascinating? That happiness is predicated all throughout the sacred text of the Bible. Again, on recognizing the source of it. Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Any of us then that wish to appreciate life and all that it has to offer in a good way, it all starts with, of course, relation to God. And a godly family will make sure that that's a vital part. Notice what else comes. A godly family. Sometimes you and I see on the newscasts and perhaps other reports of brothers and sisters and individuals in a family who fight and fuss and quarrel and sometimes even have to be hauled into court. But consider a godly family where there is the motivation and the appreciation of God's love. There are some things missing in a godly family. You don't see that kind of strife, physical contention. It's not to say there's never disagreement. But they know how to handle the disagreement. They know how to handle it in a way that leads to resolution. Look at some of these verses. In Proverbs 23, verses 24 and 5, that was our lesson text today. Isn't it true that in that place we read, The Father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice. Now notice, earlier we noticed that a wise son makes a glad father. Here the word is a bit stronger. It's rejoice. Oh, how rejoicing a parent can be when the children of that parent have lived wisely and are striving to live appropriately. The verse goes on to say this, And he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. A godly family presents to us a powerful, real reality concerning joy. Our world just doesn't bring much joy. Isn't that true? We often see the devil's influences that are so harmful, so hurtful, so evil, so wicked, and yet in a godly family there's gladness, there's joy. May we all be thankful if we're a part of such a family. May we, in fact, each night thank the God of heaven for a godly mother and father, for brothers and sisters who, in fact, strive to make a godly place. Beyond all of that, there are a number of verses that I would ask you. I've put some things in quotation marks. Because not only do we find a godly family, one who appreciates this gladness and joy, the opposite state of affairs is this. Proverbs 17, verse 21. Proverbs 17, verse 25. Look at some of the things absent in certain kinds of families. He that begetteth a fool doeth it to his sorrow. And the father of a fool hath no joy. What's absent then in these kinds of circumstances in which that's missing? We find no joy. We find no gladness. I suppose there's not much that will break the spirit much more than ongoing activities day after day without that sense of joy and wisdom. Look at verse 25. A foolish son is a grief to his father. And by the same token, bitterness to her that bear him. 
earlier verses you and I mentioned talked about gladness and joy in these kinds of places, but on the opposite side of that coin is bitterness and grief. As you give thought to a godly family, one by one the blessings are magnificent, aren't they? It makes the journey through life a sweet thing to be part of a family like we're describing currently. How about number four? What else do you and I find as part of a godly family? May I suggest to you the writer of Proverbs mentions on several occasions instruction. Let's develop that perhaps more thoroughly like this. In the opening verse of Proverbs chapter 4, it says, Hear, ye children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. Each of us, whether exceedingly young or perhaps a little older in life, we are admonished, are we not, to recognize that there is an impressive need for instruction. Those who are older than we, like our parents, our grandparents, perhaps others, they have years of experience and wisdom which we as younger do not yet have. The word wisdom, in fact, has a very powerful explanation. And as the Word of God develops it, it's so very telling we're going to develop that in some detail at Willow Avenue next Sunday night. For the moment, might we at least make comment that wisdom is vitally held up in the words of Scripture. And may we all appreciate in a godly family there's instruction. I need it. There are times that my pathway is not directed as it ought to be, and I need those instructive words of a father and mother to correct me, maybe even to rebuke me perhaps even to discipline me appropriately. What about Ephesians 6 verse 4 that expresses even in the heart of the New Testament the vital essentiality of this. Fathers, bring up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. A godly family. There is instruction. Everything that son and daughter does isn't right. And so son and daughter need to be in a position to receive instruction. As parents, may we be quick to provide that, always motivated in love, of course, but always, of course, provided. Didn't we read earlier, a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame? So if we don't instruct them, if we don't provide to them that which they need, we aren't doing them any service. We're only hurting them in the long run. Look at the final verse. What about that example of the man named Abram, who, of course, later was called Abraham? In Genesis 18, verse number 19, we find record there of how it was that he, as the patriarch of that family, instructed appropriately. He commanded his children after him. He gave them instruction. He gave them commandments and orders. You and I, as, of course, the leaders of a family will do the same. A godly family does that. Isn't it true that a family without instruction is a family in chaos? It's a family without order. It's a family that's a mess. But yet a godly family is without those terrible things. Rather, there's orderliness. There's understanding that there's ways things are to be done. And when those are violated, it leads to some of these next points. What else about a godly family? You noticed it there at the bottom. Rules. We mentioned there's instruction, but there's perhaps even more generally than characteristic of rules. 
There are things that are done. There are things that are not done. Fathers, mothers, there's not anything wrong with making rules for your family. Son, we don't do it this way. And if you do, there will be consequences. Daughter, we don't do it this way. Be it the way you speak, the way you dress, whatever else the circumstance may be. This is not the way we behave in this family. May I suggest to you, your children, they may not like the rules at first. By the time they get to be a little older in life, the day will come they'll love you for it. The day will come they'll thank God that you love them enough to not let them do anything and everything they wanted. That's one of the matters that has been so problematic in our world. Parents who think that love doesn't have rules. That's just the opposite of what the Bible teaches. God loves and He has rules. Brother Adam led us in a song a moment ago, God is love, 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8. Doesn't He have rules? There are things that we just don't do it this way, God says, and yet be part of my family. Perhaps in suggestion to that, notice how that then obedience, even in the book of Proverbs, is enjoined. Fathers, mothers, listen to how this reads. Proverbs 28, verse number 7. Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of riotous men shameth his father. Behaviors in a family. As you give thought to perhaps the admonition your mother, your father gave you in days gone by, and maybe even is it's ongoing today. Appreciate they do that motivated by concern and care for your soul. It's not selfishness on their part. They love you and they love me. More so than that, they love your soul. They want what's best from the eternal perspective for you. That's what a godly family does. Those rules maybe lead us to 1 John 5 verse 3 and how that is in a way a matter to assist us to think about our loving Heavenly Father. As we noted a moment ago, our Heavenly Father also has rules and if a child has been reared in a family where dad and mother had rules and they expected those rules to be kept and obeyed, that child is more likely to appreciate the rules of a heavenly father and live in obedience and harmony to them. Now, that isn't always true, of course, in life. Each person makes his own choices. But it would seem that Proverbs 22, 6 says, Bring up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. There's at least a general appreciation that a child is not going to so easily forget the nature of that upbringing. These rules we've described, there are consequences to them for look at number six. In a godly family, there's correction. There's not just instruction. There's not just rules. There's penalty when those rules are violated. There's penalty when there's transgression to those accepted rules in the family. The book of Proverbs begins it like this. Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 12. A very telling passage because of the forcefulness that it states about the behavior of a family. Listen as the inspired writer says, beginning in verse 11. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of His correction. For whom the Lord loveth, He correcteth even as a father the son in whom He delighteth. The latter part of that verse says that father who loves his children will correct them. 
He will express disapproval at what they do that's not right. He will even go so far as to admonish in a dis disciplinary fashion. He does it because he loves that daughter or son. He isn't doing it out of selfishness, arrogance, pride, or anything else, if he's doing it correctly at least. And you'll notice that was a pattern for God's discipline of us. May I submit to you then, as you look at verses such as Proverbs 13, verse 24, look at how that discipline is stated like this, He that spareth his rod hateth his son. That is the exact opposite of modern psychiatry and modern psychological teaching. You don't spank them, we're often told, because it might damage in some way the character of their person. Their ego might be harmed in an irreparable fashion. That's nonsense. The Bible says if you don't love them, then just let them go. But if you do love them, you've got to correct them. And that may well include spirit. That may include the rod, the belt, the switch, whatever else is at hand. Perhaps in fairness, that verse closes by saying, He that loveth him, chasteneth him betimes. I'm sure you and I can remember well when Brother James Watkins was with us a few years ago and during one of the sermons he delivered to us during that gospel meeting, he spoke about when his father corrected him and he in turn corrected one of his own children. How very heart-wrenching at times it can be. It's no fun to spank your child, to whip them, but you know it's needed on occasion. You'll notice it's again a pattern for God's correction of us. Isn't it true that a child then learns about authority? A child learns then certain things are unaccepted. And a child certainly learns about the character and nature of what this correction involves. Proverbs 29 verse number 17, as it joins in that discussion, puts it like this. Correct thy son and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Each of us know that child's going to grow up, and if we wait too long, they will, of course, grow to maturity and not easy to correct then. When they're young, we can mold their like plastic in our hands. We can instill in them what's proper, what's right, the blessings of a godly family. Look at what comes next. You'll notice at the very bottom of that, we appreciate the following. Absence of disrespect. In a godly family, there is appreciation of respect. Respect for dad, for mom, for one's character in the family. There's respect for authority because the parents make sure of it. I'm sure we each can remember days gone by when we thumbed our nose at perhaps the authority of granddad or some other member of the family, and we paid some consequences for that. And we should have. That was proper and right. In a godly family, look at this. Proverbs 19, verse 26. He that wasteth his father and chaseth away his mother is a son that causeth shame and bringeth reproach. Here there's a description in the midst of these wonderful writings about a son who wastes his father. What does that mean? And by the same token, he chases away his mother. Well, I would ask you to notice... The actual original word has within it the thought of assault. That son that would assault his father, either verbally, physically perhaps, 
you'll notice that's a son, it says, that wastes his father. And furthermore, those that would chase away his mother, either way, it's a son that brings shame, causes shame, and finally brings reproach. The Bible uses that word reproach often in some very strong positions, and this is certainly one of them. In addition to that, we notice in Proverbs 20, verse number 20, Whoso curseth his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. Don't you find that a very graphic verse? That son, that daughter, that would curse dad or mom, it says the lamp will be put out in obscure darkness. Think about the life that person's living. A life of darkness, a life of separation, a life that's in despair. A life that's so far removed from the blessed light it could be appreciating. In addition to that, in Proverbs 28, verse 24, we find these rather unforgettable words. It says, Whoso robbeth his father or his mother, and saith, It is no transgression, the same is the companion of a destroyer. I'd ask you to think. Don't just think about robbing them of money. That's bad enough to steal from your parents' money or possessions. What if you're robbing them of other things, like the joy they could be having in you? The understanding that goes with your blessed lot you could have enjoyed. Are you robbing them of pride they could have had in you? Are you robbing them of other behaviors in which they could feel pride in the choices you've made? After all, the Bible uses that word that way at times. You'll notice in that case, the same as the companion of a destroyer. So the person that would do that to dad and mom is a friend of, an associate of those that destroy. What a shame. You see, in a godly family, there's not that idea. It's also true that we notice in a godly family, there's also an impressiveness related to work and using one's capabilities. Laziness isn't tolerated. Slothfulness isn't tolerated. Maybe all of that culminates as you and I look at the very words of Christ and some additional teachings of the Bible. Proverbs 28 verse 19 puts it like this, He that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread, but he that followeth after vain persons shall have poverty enough. We sometimes are seeing in our own land today the fruits of a society that wants too much given to it. And our government groans beneath the financial burden of it. The Bible says, He that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread. There's a place for work, and it's an important place. And we need a society that appreciates that it's seemingly a little better than it currently does. Because you notice poverty comes to those that don't work those that spend their time associating with vain persons. Didn't Jesus say in John chapter 9, verse 4, that while the day is here, it's time to work for the night cometh when no man can. Maybe to say all that is to close our lesson with number 9. Of all the particulars that have come with our discussion today, none stands at the zenith anymore than the element of godliness. There are a lot of blessings that come with being a part of a godly family. Work, respect, the appreciation of what we've learned this morning. 
But surely the greatest thing of all is an understanding of what I need to do to be right with God and the kind of life that I must live. We notice in Proverbs 1 verse number 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge begins at that point. The world, I realize, offers all sorts of additional sources for knowledge, but in order to be godly, it all begins with the fear of the Lord. Look at where that naturally leads. Proverbs 3 verse 7. This amazing sense of humility. Not two-faced humility, but humility in which we're happy to say, God, I intend and I am determined to do it your way. I know the world says something different, and I know there are forces that often give a very different story, but I humbly want to do it your way. That verse, in fact, reads as follows. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Simple, isn't it? Fear the Lord and depart from evil. If you and I are wise, if we wish to, in fact, bring the proper glory to God, we'll strive to do that. In Proverbs 9, verse number 10, may I ask you to notice some physical blessings that come with length of life that also touch the same subject. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. In chapter 10, verse 27, the fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. We would all do well to think about that. It is a general maxim of Scripture. Those who appreciate the blessing of godliness and strive to live in harmony with it, God appears to look with blessedness in so many cases upon a lengthening. But He goes on to say in the same verse, the years of the wicked shortened. If you and I want to live on this earth and we want to live here in such a way to appreciate at least the powerful, positive blessings it has to offer, we would do well to live in harmony with wisdom, and that comes from God. Are you and I living that way? You'll notice these last few thoughts give us two more statements, and the lesson is yours. Proverbs 14, verse 26. The inspired writer says, "...in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence." and his children shall have a place of refuge. Do you want to be able to walk through life and hold your shoulders high and your head high, not for personal glory, but as understanding of the assurance and confidence that's yours? Then live godly. It's a shameful thing to live ungodly. It's disgraceful. It does not bring glory and honor to you. It's a very disrespectful thing. If you want to live life with that kind of appreciation... Living it is the way that is of confidence that it must be done with God. Prosperity. I'm sure we all could agree that there's something about enjoying the benefit of physical blessings in life. Having a home, a house, food to eat, sufficient clothing to wear, physical blessings of life. And yet, Proverbs 19 verse 23 says this, the fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. You see, the way of the transgressor is hard, Proverbs thirteen fifteen. If we choose to walk away from God, 
despite however blessings we may have had in days growing up in sweeter, kinder years, if we walk away from Him, it's not going to turn out well. It's not. In fact, it's going to turn out bad. It'll turn out shamefully. It'll turn out sorrowfully. The blessings of a godly family. As we close this lesson this morning, there's a lengthy list of what we've described. And as I mentioned, there's a lot of intertwining between them. But would you notice them with me? A godly family, there's a sense of belonging, a sense of community. There's furthermore an understanding of gladness and happiness and joy that goes with it. Instruction, rules, and correction all go together also as an appreciated part. The last three, there's no disrespect, there's work, and there's godliness. There's so much rich teaching in the book of Proverbs, and we've only looked at part of it today. But as you and I think about Father's Day, Mother's Day alike, may we be thankful for a godly family. Today, as you analyze and examine your life, and as I do the same for me, the invitation of the Lord is extended. Maybe there's one or more in the audience that is apart from the saving character of the God of heaven. You realize what you must do. It starts, if you've never become a Christian, you must believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Repent of your sins, confess His name as the Son of God, and be baptized. We would be honored to assist you in that today. If you have walked away, though, from faithfulness, today's the day to come back home. God, as you see in love, has extended to you the second law of pardon. That law demands that you believe the nature of the wrongness of what you've done, continuing to believe, of course, in the God of heaven. But you must repent of those sins. You must. And you have to confess them. And when you then ask for the prayers of brethren to God on your behalf, He's promised to forgive them. Today, if there'd be anybody in the audience whom we could assist in one of these ways or praying for strength or encouragement, we'd be honored to assist you. Brother Adam has chosen this song of encouragement. Now's an opportune time. Won't you come while together we stand and sing?